Hello and welcome. This is the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for professionals. I'm your host Punit Bhatia. In this podcast, we talk to influencers so that you get to listen and learn from their experiences and thoughts. Remember, this is not legal advice and if you need one, please contact a professional with your situation. So let's get started. Hello and welcome. Today in the Fit for Privacy podcast, we have Nicolas Castellon. He's a cybersecurity expert and very well versed with security and privacy dimension of how it works in privacy and how the two intersect. So Nicolas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So if you may introduce yourself and share what you do. All right. So I actually have close to 10 years of experience in cybersecurity. I actually started in the think tank and university sector. I started producing knowledge products um, when the word cybersecurity uh, was not actually a thing. It was all called information security. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of a sudden, Edward Snowden came up and then <laughs> everything was popularized. And then we had the term cybersecurity. Right. Um, so I invested some years in that, uh, worked a bit in some uh, international organizations and some think tanks, uh, universities. And I realized consistently that I had a handicap in understanding technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a deep dive in the technology sector. So I joined a systems integrator, which are a very particular type of company. They basically provide the services, build the services uh, for almost every public service we have out there, even for private companies. And mm-hmm. uh, you actually get to really take a deep look at the technology and understand uh, how things work. And I've been doing that uh, for the last uh, six years. And uh, right now, I am a senior manager at Capgemini Cybersecurity Unit in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, I manage the cyber defense team. Uh, so we do the, the red, the blue, and the purple teaming. Interesting. And how, how do you get into privacy then? I so, know. So, so privacy is an interesting, uh, is a different dimension of cybersecurity. Uh, maybe we can get into that a little bit later, which is the, the, the discussion that usually comes up, which is, is privacy part of security or security part of right. privacy? Right, and we can get into that discussion. <laughs> That's uh, for me, I see, and this is just really the, 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 the quick uh, SparksNote version, I see security as the enabler of privacy. Right. Essentially, if you look at, for example, the GDPR, if you want to enforce privacy, you need cybersecurity measures. Yes. There's no privacy without security, normally. Yeah. Because to enable privacy, you do need to enable security. Yeah. And these days, since everything is in the internet, so security becomes cybersecurity. Yeah. In that course. context. So let's maybe uh, get ourselves started. What's the one thing that you love about privacy? Well, I think the good thing about privacy, uh, it was a good marketing campaign. The, the release of the GDPR was a great <laughs> marketing campaign. Uh, everybody called it G-Day, the day that it was going to be launched. A lot of organizations were panicking. A lot of our clients were panicking. Mm-hmm. We were panicking ourselves. And it made people aware right. of, one, privacy, and two, their online presence. Yes. I think that's the one thing that I like about privacy. And then that's contradicted with, what do you hate about privacy? Or is there something you hate? One thing that I dislike about privacy, or at least uh, the marketing behind it, is that sometimes it hampers or supersedes innovation. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes seen as a caveat uh, for moving forward. And no, we should not be doing things at the expense of privacy. Right. Uh, but if we are, we really should understand its consequences. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion in the market around is can we collect data or can we not collect data? Ideally, you can collect data, but there are caveats on how you can collect it and what do you have to inform to customers. And that's where some people are not able to interpret it, especially those who, are not, who do not understand the law perfectly. And I would say people who don't understand the technology perfectly. Exactly. So they, they, there's this thing, the technology people need to understand privacy and privacy people need to understand technology. But at the moment, it's not the case. It's one or the other. I think that's going to be a running theme in today's episode. <laughs> right. If you could change one thing in GDPR, would there be one such thing? Uh, yes. So you see, as, um, as somebody who has actually made an assessment about the GDPR's use for one technology, so just very, very, very sharply about blockchain. Yeah. Uh, the GDPR is technology agnostic. The GDPR does not specify uh, technological use, and of course, very smartly so, because they understand the technology changes very right. quickly. However, that does that does that does hinder uh, technology moving forward uh, because technologists, innovators, uh, technical architects, they do not understand the the regulation. Uh, but when it's time to collect data for the purpose of the product, uh, this is usually a moment where it slows down mm-hmm. uh, whatever whatever they were working on before. And something that I would change is uh, to be able to have potentially ad hoc advisory on technology, temporary ad hoc advisory on technology to the best fit of the understanding of the technology, because whatever blockchain is today Mm -hmm. um, will not be the same in 10 years, for example. Right. So it needs to continue to evolve. It can't be static set of rules. Yeah. Especially when it concerns two specific technologies. And of course, this also is not just blockchain. This also applies to whatever sort of uh, massive data collections coming, which we may refer to right. as uh, as data analytics, as uh, artificial intelligence. And I exactly. Say that that's, that's something being talked about, the AI guidance from different regulators. Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. also sometimes people think GDPR will inhibit or pause or stop AI or restrict AI. Yeah. So what's GDPR for you in one word? Good intentions. Good intention. <laughs> Good intentions. Good intentions. Right. I mean, yes, it gets good intentions. I, mm-hmm. I understand that it was written for the purpose of, 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 of making sure uh, that uh, that that people's online privacy, online uh, online digital presence is safeguarded. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that wasn't that that wasn't on people's minds. That was right. not on the minds of of big corporate or even small corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's uh, in one word, it's good intentions because we have everything from companies, multi-million dollar companies thinking about, all right, so what do I have in this data lake? Yes. Uh, from a mom and pop uh, shop thinking, well, can I collect this for my customer database or, right. you know, a a, 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 a a gym coach thinking, well, can I collect the email addresses of right. my participants? Exactly. Very and, different levels of scale. And that's the objective of the law. Sometimes people look at it differently but objective is to make you think before you use start using data and then decide if you should or shouldn't while earlier anybody could collect anything and everything and there was no regulation right so if we talk about compliance with law what's the most challenging aspect when it comes to implementing privacy laws because you work with a lot of customers and you talk to a lot of clients and I believe some of them have technology backgrounds. So what's the biggest challenge when, or most challenging aspect when it comes to implementing privacy laws? 
Well, first of all, well, the bigger issue, and it's also very similar to what happens with cybersecurity, is that the privacy department is a separate department than architecture. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about a company. Let's be very generic about this. A company that collects data um, and they sell that data uh, for the purpose of maximizing a market. I know this sounds very vague, uh, but this actually is a very common business model. Mm-hmm. Collecting a lot of data for the sell, for the purpose of amalgamating it and then providing it through a client to, to a client through a portal. Okay, so uh, there is a lot of data to be gathered. Then you have architects. Architects will be designing the architecture. Uh, of course, I mean the digital architects. Uh, so mm-hmm. they'll be putting, they'll be using some framework uh, to design data flows and such. Uh, the biggest challenge is that these technical architects don't usually understand the GDPR, and the people who are going to be auditing this architecture don't understand the architecture flows. Right. And they are really speaking different languages and seeing different colors. One could be colorblind, let's say. <laughs> and that's one of the interesting challenges to see them sitting in the same room. Uh, and not being able to see eye to eye on what the definitions are. So I would say that defining privacy uh, in terms of digital architecture and information flows, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the, 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 the biggest challenges. Yeah. And when it comes to social media, because that's also one of the technological advancements these days, what's your view on social media and privacy? Does that go hand in hand? Is that a challenge? That's right. So that, that, that's an interesting one. So social media and privacy. Um, at the end of the day, you get to ask the question, do people, people care about their privacy, uh, but they still want to use social media, right? Yes. So, well, you're, you're paying with your data, right? This is one of the most common misconceptions is that you using Facebook, actually, you, you're, you actually, there is a price tag, uh, for your data and that price tag will vary depending on what market you're in. Somebody in the North American market versus the European market versus, let's just say, South American market mm-hmm. will have a different price tag attached to each other. So technically, your your data has a worth. Right. And uh, something that you should know, which should be a main mantra for this field, is if something is free, it means that you are the product. Yeah. That's 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 full stop uh, what people should understand. If you're using something, you're the product. So you can apply that to uh, any of your email accounts that are free. You can apply that to... Uh, any online streaming platform that you see that you that you use online that is free. Why is it free? Because you're the product. You're either consuming something and they're putting advertisements right back to you, mm-hmm. or they're collecting your data. And you can say that mostly about your email, um, your email providers. Mm-hmm. So there is a there's well we're we're at the start of an age where your data is worth some money, right? Yes. Nowhere has it been before that me staring at a newspaper was worth money, right? Now me staring at my phone. And consuming advertisements and being able to sell off my GPS data, uh, selling my last three websites visited, uh, selling off my contact list, selling off my etc. Uh, etc. Et and of mm-hmm. course, this is like for example apps like Pokemon Go, right, or some Harry Potter game apps mm-hmm. where people think that they're friendly games and they are friendly games. What you're essentially selling is a lot of ancillary data. All of that data has a value, and my personal belief, and professional belief, is that that data will one day be a lot more than what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So right now, let's say if my consumption per quarter is around three to ten to ten euros in advertising revenue or in selling my data, etc. Of course, this is an exaggeration. In the not so long term, it'll be a lot, lot more, and mostly because everything's becoming digital. Mm-hmm. And right now, we just have our phones and our smartwatches. But then comes the car, then comes the toothbrush, then comes my uh, smart lights, then comes my smart toaster and my smart etc. etc. And then all of that data will also be up for sale. But then I think at that point, hopefully there will be a better bargaining position for the consumer. <laughs> yeah. 
For those that are interested, there's actually a nice model called MyData, which is the Nordic model of data. Mm-hmm. And uh, they already set some human-centered uh, frameworks for, for, for what, what the future of data will be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree with some of that stuff, and I do agree that eventually our data will be worth a lot more and we'll have a better bargaining position. Right. And I think the objective or the benefit of these laws is now people are starting to talk about the value of data and thinking sometimes saying, should we pay the customer and then will it be a legitimate way of getting that data? While earlier it was, I can use it. Yeah, I can use it and that's it. And it also brings up the question, as a consumer, uh, I mean, it's just a very simple poll. Who here pays for, and I will name this YouTube. YouTube has a paid version. Who pays right. for YouTube? Uh, if Facebook had a paid version, who would pay for Facebook? I mean, um, your Outlook, your Gmail, uh, they have paid versions. And how many consumers actually use those versions? And uh, through and through, when you put that question to the trial, are you willing to pay for the f- stuff you use for free? Some people are willing to say yes. Yeah. The majority, unfortunately, in my experience, say no. Yeah. And the mindset is such that people think it's free, but behind free, you're paying for it in a non-monetary way. The company yeah. behind it is monetizing what you are giving it as your personal data. Exactly. So it's what we what we see as value of payment. So how are is how is it that you're paying? No, you're not paying through your bank account. You're not paying through an online subscription. You're not paying with credit card. You're paying with your own private data, which of course, I mean, well, who actually reads those privacy statements? <laughs> it's an exchange of value rather than an exchange of money in this case. Yeah, I agree with that. Exchange of value, yeah. Yeah. And the value that the company gets then it converts that value into monetary format. While the consumer is not even aware of the value of his or her data. Yeah, and that is what I say that I think will be changing soon. Uh, I think the consumer will be more aware of the monetary value behind that. Yeah, and I think over time either it will become we we can't do it and then the free things will become paid for. So the consumer ends up paying or else the companies would be willing to pay for if you give me this data, that much I would, I can pay you every month. We don't know which direction it's headed. Yeah. But something got to change. Yeah, something will change for sure. Something will change for sure. Yeah. Okay, that was on the technology side of it. But sometimes, I don't know if you see in business meeting, you're collecting business cards. And then is collecting business cards and sending introductions compliant with GDPR? Now, a lot of people, when I meet them at events and discuss, they ask this question, what's your view on it? All right. So, I mean, I have a more high level overview of this, more high level opinion of this, which is if, if people are asking you, is collecting business cards GDPR compliant? It makes me think they don't really understand the GDPR. Right. It makes me think they're being overly cautious and don't really understand the legislation. Um, I, I, I know the hype uh, from mm-hmm. the Brussels scene uh, because this is really ground zero for all yeah. of this. Uh, if you're being cautious about collecting uh, about collecting business cards, it is, I think, for the sake of being overly cautious and sort of right. being in, it's fashionable. Uh, it, it's, it is fashionable. I think six months before and six months after the GDPR, it was fashionable for the most minor things to try to be GDPR compliant. And sometimes it's, again, good intentions. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the point of the law. So it's, 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 it's fashionable. It's like certain products that nowadays carry the word gluten-free where the product is <laughs> you know, beyond the ability of having gluten in it. Yeah. But uh, it was a fashion statement back, back in whatever time this product was produced. So mm-hmm. it's you know, GDPR compliant. So yes, can we 
to like your business card. If you have a business card and you give it to someone, what is the intent and purpose of that business card? The intent and purpose of that business card is for you to have some sort of transaction of communication. Exactly. Therefore, if you give that, that is maybe implicit, the tick in the box that you can give to the person, saying that, yes, I want you to use my business card so you can contact me for whatever purpose right. is necessary for this for the, the the origin of this conversation. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Where it gets into the bloody line is, if then somebody enrolls you for a newsletter, and that's, I think, better off if you're asking consent beforehand, saying, I got your business card, we have a lovely newsletter, would you like to receive it, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So before you that's, spam me, yeah, exactly, before you Don't spam start me. spamming. If I get your business card or you get somebody's business card, if you send them a hello, I met you and this is a business proposition for you, he can um, say yes or no, but that's a business conversation that you won't be making it 10 times a month. Yeah. But the newsletter would be 10 times a month and there, it's better off asking, would you like to subscribe? For explicit consent. Yes. In the state and the GDPR, but if I'm going to contact somebody and say, thank you for joining my event. Yeah. Well, yeah. And event, it's still fine because you won't be doing events every week. Yeah. That you can send it. But yeah, it's, it's how you interpret this thing. And there's a lot of gray area that gets in because that's about interpretation of the law rather than clear set of rules in which we can say yes or no. And sometimes people are looking for binary things. Yes, exactly. And that's why I say that it's more fashionable to say, well, um, this is a hot topic right now. So let's just ask the question so people are aware that we are in the know. Yeah. And like I say, good intentions, good intentions all around, <laughs> but impractical. Yeah, and, uh, and I think it's going to get even more uh, different because with certifications coming along, your statement on it's becoming fashion. So the GDPR certification or the seal would become GDPR compliant, GDPR compliant. It will become fashionable more and more. Yeah, but it'll probably be uh, sort of like a label of saying fair trade. Yes, it, yeah. it may get into that yes, you if not a, done properly. Yeah, you look at a product... You look at a service and you're looking for that, that the GDPR compliancy <laughs> sticker on it. Yeah, so we're trying to do almost the same thing with cybersecurity. We're sort of having a, a cybersecurity label that mm -hmm. products are at least, uh, meet some certain level of compliance. I won't even get into the detail of that, but mm -hmm. that's a very inter interesting discussion, uh, at least for, the, for, for, for software and for manufacturing, which is can products be certified secure? Yeah. And I think it's the same thing. Can they be certified uh, privacy pri private, you know, privacy compliant or GDPR compliant or etc. Is there a business model behind that? Oh, absolutely. Of course, there's a, there's a business model behind that. And I think that's what will most likely drive the conversation. Yeah. But these days, business and technology moves so fast, you cannot certify on privacy or security. It's always hmm. at a certain point in time. Because yeah. as technology changes, as business changes, you may need to review it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in your field, as a specialist in cybersecurity, how do you see the intersection or correlation between privacy and security? So going back into that topic, it's an interesting one. Um, so for example, us at, uh, at, at Capgemini, we have a department, a what we call a chapter, just dedicated to privacy. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that the privacy, uh, the, the privacy consultants will sometimes excuse themselves and say, well, I'm not a... I'm not a security expert, but and um, <laughs> they'll they'll go on speaking about privacy. It's interesting because uh, well, I in my and I'll speak only in my personal view. I see privacy as a component of security. So they they are they in in terms of bodies of knowledge, they are very different. Yes, I understand this. Uh, that privacy does stem from a more legal basis uh, of what can and what cannot be, uh, and that sometimes is a little bit more binary. However, technology is 
ironically, I mean, technology is binary right now until we get quantum, but sometimes it's not. The understanding is not that explicit. Mm -hmm. uh, so something, just a, a discussion that I'll just throw in here, uh, talking about blockchain. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a uh, for a framework we developed uh, for the Dutch Blockchain Coalition, so a coalition of organizations that got together uh, to work on blockchain technology and try to do societal good. Uh, though, but of course, we wanted to develop a framework for them for cybersecurity, and we thought, well, their biggest concern is actually privacy, the privacy on the blockchain. There was actually one organization, uh, well, I won't say names, that actually developed a blockchain uh, to put the information of infant-born babies. Mm. Uh, to be able to have their information uh, monitored. Of course, the, the information is not on the blockchain, uh, but references are on the blockchain, mm -hmm. right? And it was, I think they called it the first blockchain baby that was born. So then the question becomes, all right, so if everybody's main concern is blockchain, how do you actually, if this blockchain baby turns 18 and says, I want my data deleted, how do you delete data on a blockchain? And of course, let's not get too much into the details here because we can go on, we can fill out the entire podcast <laughs> about this. But... How do you delete? I mean, the GDPR states the right to be forgotten, right? That's very black and white. So sure. how do you delete on blockchain? So for those of you who might not understand, a blockchain is a ledger that is supposed to be irrefutable. So if a transaction is made, that transaction will be stored and saved until the entire blockchain, the entire chain is deleted, uh, renewed, or, well, there are many other technical ways to be able to do this. Um, so uh, we, we advised in this framework, right? So in order to comply with this, we should uh, encrypt that block and quote unquote, throw away the key. Yep. So we thought, well, this should be sufficient. However, of course, we can never get a, uh, we can never get this on paper uh, from no. the DPA uh, that this is okay, because at the end of the day, as soon as we get quantum computing, that blocks encryption will be as good as a, as, as, as a, as a small padlock. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just smash it and then it's out. So then the question becomes, okay, so this is, this is why I mentioned that the GDPR should have ad hoc technology advice. Um, in order to be able to, to, to cater to the current technology now. And again, the blockchain of today is not the same blockchain of the 1990s, keeping in right. mind that blockchain is not a new technology. It was called distributor ledger technologies. Mm -hmm. Now it's called blockchain, and in 10 to 15 years, it'll probably be called something else. Mm -hmm. And the variations will be in the architecture. And, uh, and I know I'm going a bit uh, around the question of what is the difference between privacy and, and security. Uh, but uh, an, an understanding of architecture will uh, is, is something that I think. Um, I, I think the understanding of architecture is something that privacy professionals should really look into, uh, of where the information is stored. So at the end of the day, privacy is about my data. I go to a website. I'm consuming a product. Uh, I'm signing up for something. Uh, I am yeah, service or good, and then an organization needs my information to be able to process something. So then the question becomes, where is that going? At a more technological level, where is that information going? How is it being processed? And I don't mean being processed in the sense of what Excel sheet is landing on uh, or what company is going to go to. I really mean at the more, at the operational level, what information is being collected? Where is it going? And then start asking the other questions like what kind of encryption is being used? Mm -hmm. uh, what cloud provider are you using? Uh, what, what, what kind of business continuity plans are there there? What kind of mm -hmm. risk assessments are being done? Um, so all, most of our clients right now are going through what they call digital transformation, which is basically moving from yeah. uh, on-premise, their own their own servers, their own stuff, to moving everything to the cloud. Why? Because it's cheaper. They can use more more processing speed, and well, this, we can usually just stop it. It's cheaper, but uh, it's more efficient for them. That's not their right. core business. Their core business is to deal with service or product X. So right. why would they need to have their own data center outsource it? Yeah, they can always outsource it. The only thing is the outsourcing needs to be privacy compliant. 
Yes. Yeah. So privacy compliant, and then then then, then that's why I say that the, when you want to link both things, I think security has a more technolo- technolo- technology focus than privacy. Uh, privacy is usually left at a higher level of of legality. So what yes. is in the GDPR is almost as almost as as, as people who interpret the GDPR. Uh, because at the end of the day, it really is interpretation. If yes, you, it if, is. If you've read the GDPR, and I challenge anybody here in this podcast to actually download the GDPR from the from from the EU Commission website and actually try to make it through the first three pages, uh, <laughs> and and not and not lose concentration. It is very much up to interpretation. Some of it are very concrete, yep. and they've done a very good job in making that very concrete. But a lot of it is also left up to interpretation. And of course, I I understand the legislative process, and I understand that some things need to be left uh, for nuance. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that for technology, that nuance is, is not to its benefit. And sometimes it would be best to have ad hoc advisory. So, of course, I'm answering the, the previous question. Right. But I think the way it works is it leaves a lot of scope for interpretation. And if 10 people interpret it, you can easily have 10 different ways. And that's where it's not very comforting for some people. But from a law perspective, it is a framework in which you have to operate rather than a guideline on what you can do and you cannot do. There are some guidances, but... Yes, but of course that does limit what you can and cannot do, right? Uh, yes, it the, does. The GDPR does indeed limit what you can and cannot do. Um, it also is one of those... Uh, it is a legislation that has had a lot of media attention, mm-hmm. and that means that the board has had a lot of media attention True. for this, which is also the reason why we see a lot more privacy consultants mm-hmm. uh, just popping out. It's exactly the same <laughs> thing what happened with cybersecurity. Snowden popped up and then, you know, people's job titles and business cards started flipping to cyber. <laughs> and now we see the same thing uh, with DPOs and et cetera, right. et cetera. And of course, we also have uh, the IAPP who has managed to pull out a quite successful certification where people can become yeah. uh, CIPPE or CIPPM or CIPPT and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, they have created a sort of a, 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 a line of work in its own right. Yeah. And I think just to go back uh, 360 to the question you were talking about, privacy and security. So I think, I mean, it's a, it's a philosophical discussion of what is into what, and I won't get into that, but I will say that in order to be compliant with privacy, you surely need cybersecurity measures, for sure. If you want to monitor uh, the health of your systems, you need cybersecurity measures. Right. If you want to encrypt the data, you need cybersecurity measures. If you want to know about the storage, or the data in storage or in process or in handling or etc., that's cybersecurity. If you need user information to be safe, you need authentication, whatever type of authentication you might right. use. That's cybersecurity measure. So in order to be private, to have your privacy, you need cybersecurity measures. Absolutely. I think there's no privacy without security. Privacy is a concept, but you implement it through security because we're living in a technological world. And in technological world, we are living in a world which is where everything is cyber, everything is internet, and hence it's become internet security or cybersecurity as we call it. Yeah. So, do you read privacy or cookie statements, if I may ask? Because you mentioned it a short while ago. So, if I, you allow me to ask that. Yeah, so privacy and cookie statements. I think privacy and cookie statements are kind of like the packaging of whatever product you buy at a supermarket. Nobody really reads it, right? <laughs> People look for what they need to look for. People will look for, okay, does it have, uh, does it, I have a nut allergy? I don't, but if I have a nut allergy, I'm going to look for the nut allergy in the packet. If I'm lactose intolerant, I'm going to look for lactose free. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm uh, if I'm if I'm Jewish, I might look for something that is uh, from the Orthodox Union that is kosher mm-hmm. and etc. 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 and halal and etc. So what I think is people don't actually read it, but this is I've also seen that there's a movement to try to make privacy statements more simple. This is right. something that is actually encouraged by the GDPR that you just look at the product 
you look at the service and just through the symbols, I know what you're doing with my data. Yeah. So do I read it personally? No, very honestly. I think there's a fair bit of journey to go uh, on the privacy statements at this moment. And in last 12 or 18 months, there's been a flurry of privacy statements that have come to consumers. So it's practically making it challenging to read each and every one because we are coming from a generation wherein we never knew there was a privacy statement or some companies didn't have one. And now we are having each one of them has one. They're not written in the best possible way. So, yes. They're not read either. So They're generally not read. But the consumer, the general consumer will not spend their time reading that. I mean, yes, yeah. maybe for, for, for legal purposes and for compliance purposes. If I'm going to be setting up a web shop, yes, I need to read my own GD, my own cookie <laughs> statement and such. But will my consumer, my consumer will see that as, an, as a nuisance that pops up on his or her screen that they have to click yes to. If they want to have the full, quote unquote, website experience. So do I read it? No. But I think this is... This is a wider symptom that, I mean, does this mean that I'm not privacy aware? No, it means that if I want to access uh, access a service and such, it's not like I have a choice. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you interact with IT professionals and technology professionals. How do they see privacy? Do they see it as a bottleneck, a challenge, an enabler? How do they see that? Yeah, that's a that's a very wide question, of course, because not all not all technologists <laughs> have this, have an opinion. You can hardly get them to. I mean, like every group of people, you can hardly get them to agree on what to have for lunch. Uh, there are different camps, I would say. So uh, yes, some camps say that it is unnecessary complication, uh, unnecessary complication that hinders uh, hinders technological processes. Uh, the second is that well, yeah, well, the, the, actually, this this stems more from the fact that they might not understand it, mm -hmm. uh, and then I would dare say that it's because they haven't been shown to understand it so it's really it's 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 a chicken or the egg who is supposed to uh, invite who are the technical people supposed to invite uh, the legal people to understand the technology or the mm -hmm. legal people supposed to invite the technical people to understand the legislation uh, where does the conversation start uh, so that it's it's it's, it's hindering the second yeah. one they see it as this thing you can't touch and you have to be very careful because if not there's a four percent price tag and this is really uh, what corporate cares about, upper management cares about, of not being hit with a 4% fine. Right. Uh, so that they would rather be very cautious when touching it. Yeah. Even if there is no uh, personal identifiable information in there, they'll still be very careful. And that's because they have been hammered to be very careful. Because again, there was a very strong marketing campaign. Yes. That's when the C-level picks it up and says, oh, GDPR, oh, are, are we compliant? Uh, mm -hmm. Do we need to be compliant? Uh, we are a uh, manufacturer of product X. Do we are we compliant? It's like no, you don't have personal data. Right. <laughs> you have a different issue, uh, but because it's so fashionable, you can you you can see that it's 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 on it's on the C level's mind. Yeah. So I would say that could, that could be a fair division. But I, I again tapping into the 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 difference the the the, the contrast between technology and legal. Um, they they need each other absolutely need each other. Yep. Um, however when things are designed keep in mind that architectures for a lot of the companies that are already here were designed many 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 years ago and if you're talking about some of the biggest data collectors mm -hmm. uh, that you might not even know about mm -hmm. their architectures are older than the word than the gdpr but, itself or than the directors of 1995 yes some are. of them and, so and some of them have relational databases which do not allow for deletion of data yeah because you delete one thing and the other one falls so it's they're not blockchain based but they're still the same challenge yeah because databases used to have connections, linkages, and so on, and it's not possible to delete. Yeah, so how do you do that? So it also makes you think that whoever wrote 
and whoever, <laughs> whoever, whatever legal team was designing and writing the GDPR, where they made aware of all the technological, uh, technological, let's say, uh, notes, uh, say uh, things that they should have kept in mind. Yeah, I look at it, deletion as putting information beyond use, so it doesn't have to be physical deletion, right. but yes, there's no official guidance in terms of that. Right, right, right. Okay, and uh, so it was interesting having you. Uh, good to have you. And would you have a final message for our audiences around privacy and security? Yeah, my advice to all privacy experts out there or um, experts in becoming is that you should try to understand um, technology. You really should try to understand on a more granular level how digital infrastructures work. Um, and then you will actually be able to see how these consume uh, or digest whatever advice is given by the GDPR. Mm -hmm. That's a good one because privacy is not one person's responsibility. It's everyone needs to know it. And technology is also in the same space. Everyone needs to understand it. You can't under manage privacy without knowing technology. So you need to understand technology and technologists do need to understand privacy. So thanks, Nicola, for being here. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you like this effort. Please do click like, comment and share. It is okay if you did not like it. Please still do make a comment and share with us what we can improve. If you have suggestions, ideas for guests or you want to have your question answered, please email me. My email is info at punitbhatia.com. You can also share this with others. And if you do so while tagging me in, I will personally thank and acknowledge your contribution in coming episodes. Thanks once more and look forward to seeing you back. Till then, stay safe, stay blessed and stay happy.